Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Scrubs, Life Stories of Medical Providers. This series aims to delve deeper into the unique experiences, passions, and personal stories of our dedicated medical providers beyond their daily duties in healthcare. So I'm looking at my calendar here. Thursday, July 4th, 2019, I get invited to a potluck at Andrew Doan's house with my um, with my my wife and kids at the time at uh, 27. Well, I'm not going to say your address, but it was at noon. And then you walk in my office and I'm like, hey, who is this guy? This is Dr. Doan. Oh, my God. I, I remember you. We've longed each other, each other for a very long time. Doctor, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. What, what are you doing here at the hospital? What do you do here? I am the staff ophthalmologist. And uh, so I'm the only ophthalmologist here at the hospital. Okay. So I'm the eye surgeon and, and there's no optometry services now too. So I am also the optometry service. <laughs> so I see people for Many glasses hats. and whatever they need. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, so you know a little bit about our podcast. You actually sent me an email and said, Hey, we're going to, I want to, I want to uh, talk to you about your podcast. So you, you obviously heard a couple of episodes. Um, so, you know, we basically talk, talk to people about what they do um, outside of this facility, sort of the things that interest them. What, what interests you, would you say? I love to educate. So I have my own YouTube channel. So the commanding oh, officer okay. here approved uh, for me to be a YouTuber. And so... Um, Is this your first time out the gate? You've never YouTube before? You're just starting into YouTubing or... I would YouTube back in the early teens, like 2010 to 2017. Okay. Uh, but because of the issues and the controversial topics that I was talking about at the time, um, I was um, actually asked to delete all my videos. Okay. You know, I'll have to ask about these topics. What, what were these topics you were talking about? I was working on research on the effects of gaming uh, and pornography on service members. Okay. What, what, is that, what did that look like? What was, what was the research? So what we found was that basically gaming was kind of like a digital drug. It stimulated the brain and mind, kind of like a cocaine or a stimulant. And because of that arousal, people can become addicted to it. Oh. And so the gaming was one problem, but pornography was kind of like the methamphetamines of digital drugs, if you want to make a comparison. So basically in pornography, in a landmark paper that we published, that's now been, I just looked at the number of people who read it, it's up to over 200,000 people wow. and cited over hundred times now. Wow. But we published a paper where we saw young service members who came back from deployment and they suffered from erectile dysfunction. And they went to urology to ask for Cialis or Viagra, you know, the pill. But these guys were only 20 or 25. Wow. Wow. And so when we dug deeper into why, they were addicted to pornography. And so they became desensitized essentially to their spouses and partners. And so when they came back, because they were addicted, we asked them to remove, if they could, remove the use of pornography, and they often got better. So we published this paper, talked about the neuroscience, and it got Holy really cow. heated because there are definitely researchers who are on the I like porn side who didn't want the paper published. And okay, didn't so want you're an ophthalmologist though. So what, what drove you to like even look into this in the first place? Well, I have a PhD in neuroscience from Johns Hopkins. Okay. So I came in as a fully boarded ophthalmologist, but I also did a four year plus uh, PhD research uh, at Hopkins. And so I'm always interested in the brain. And so what happened was back in 
I think 2012 or so, I started seeing service members for TBI. That's when we had, you know, Iraq and, yep. and all these um, in Afghanistan and all these service members were coming over back or back for rehab. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw service members who had TBIs, TBIs is and, traumatic brain injury. Yes, traumatic. Okay. Uh, yes, exactly. Traumatic brain injuries, mm -hmm. or they had eye injuries or facial injuries. So they see ophthalmology to make sure their eyes are okay and everything is working okay. But I'm also interested, you know, beyond that. So I'd ask them, you know, how's their marriages, or how are they working on their relationships? How's their rehab? And often I saw that they were numbing their minds with just video games and media. And so I'm like, wow, could there be a link here between, you know, a, a kind of like a digital drug mechanism? Um, and so I dug into the research deeper. And at the University of Washington, Dr. Hoffman and team, they were using virtual reality games like uh, Snow World to actually numb burn pains. So you can actually numb the burn pain so much in both kids and really? adults. And you games? Can, from games. And they could scrub the burns off of these burn victims. And you had to do that on a weekly, daily basis to prevent scarring. Debridement is what it's called. Wow. So I'm like, wow, it's as powerful as some narcotics. And so that's when I, I, I asked the question, is there a problem? And they moved me to the Department of Mental Health, actually, as an ophthalmologist. So I was there for about three years from 2014 to 2017, and mainly 90% research time where I just worked on this project. Wow, that's incredible. And so you became really interested in this, and so you, you decided to take this into what? What At the time, you were going into a new field or you, you were just doing your PhD. But later on, you, you went into the military, obviously, right? So what prompted you in the military to, to, to to you know, reinvigorate this, to look into this? Well, truthfully, to be honest, you know, I had my own gaming problems in med school. <laughs> and so I kind of knew like what gaming can do. Okay. And so, um, but that's what, what always made me think about it when I saw other people struggle. Okay. But what really got me in the military just to dive into it is because I saw leaders in the military who had kids who were flunking out of high school or college because of gaming. Oh, wow. And okay. so at this time, when I first started working on this, this topic of gaming, there was only 10, about 10 or 12 research papers in the peer-reviewed literature. Wow. Today, there's over a thousand. Yeah. So I was kind of ahead of the time, you know, kind of like, you know. Just interested in it. Just interested in it, so. started asking the questions. And so that's what got the military interested when I made the argument that it's actually affecting our service members. And we probably should be looking at this. And how did you stumble into the porn side of it? Was it just like, you know, hey, we're looking into gaming and then, oh my gosh, there's this other thing that's way more addictive. Hmm. Uh, what took you there? So the director of mental health, when I went over there in 2014 at Balboa, his name is Dr. Warren Clam. He's a psychiatrist. He's been the director of mental health for like almost a decade there when I, when I first came on board into yeah. his department. He's the one who asked me to do it because he saw patients and service members being affected. He goes, Andy, I know you really like the video game stuff, but I need to, to have you look at the porn stuff. And I'm like, Dr. Clam, I don't want to be known as the porn guy. <laughs> because as soon as I took on these projects, yeah. right, yeah. people would joke. It's oh, like, yeah. hey, don't. How's your porn search? Or I mean research. And so it was uh, it's a topic I did not want to, to pursue. Right. right, right. So you go into that side and then... But what actually, so you did the research paper and then I hate to make this sort of a medical thing. So I want to sort of move towards the podcast. So what made you go into the podcasting part of it after the, so you're doing this research and you find all these things out. 
what made you go public and start like actually talking about this thing? Yeah. So, well, I saw that, that a lot of people first, a lot of people are affected. And second, when I was in the research years from 2014 to 2017, I was traveling probably two to three, sometimes four times a month. So when they have somebody ask me to go somewhere, I give the talk and then another command or a civilian organization wants me to talk. It was exhausting. Mm. So I saw that the, with the internet, with the podcasting and with the video YouTube, I can reach a lot more without traveling at all. Right. So, so, your, cha so your channel today, is it a new channel or is it your old channel that you, you've just revived? It's an old channel that I revived. Okay. So before I had a, like maybe a, like 400 followers or so okay. before I had to like cut it down, but then I revived it. And so now today I have, I think like 17,000 followers. Wow. Growing. That's huge. That's pretty big. And this, these are all just people who are interested in this research. Well, research. And then my strategy is that people can't handle, um, you know, this research only because it's really hard to listen to. So now, because I'm also an aerospace medicine train, ophthalmology, public health, neuroscience, I'm picking like fun topics okay. uh, to pull people in. For example, why do dogs help us feel better? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the research behind that? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's research that show that pets actually increase your cortisol and mm -hmm. oxytocin mm -hmm. and all these like, you know, fun hormones that we love in our body. So that's why we like pets. So when right. we look at them and they lick us and, you know, interact with us, yeah. we have it's hormones being released in our bloodstream. So I talk about that kind of stuff mm -hmm. to pull people in. So I try to make it fun. Uh, but then I'll drop, I've learned that through social media, you have to like, you know, for example, uh, for every vegetable type of, of content that we deliver, we got to cover maybe or deliver seven candy-like topics. Mm. So seven fun stuff for every one like serious stuff. And that's how you can build the audience. Okay. Interesting. So so tell us more about your your research where your, your, your podcast, your YouTubing and how that sort of uh, uh, moved you along. So let's say there was a sailor and, and, and he decided that he wanted to start a, a YouTube channel. Like what, what would you say? Like what, you know, how, how do you get started? How do you maintain? Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've obviously learned this seven for one rule. What, what else is there? Sure. So, so I've done a lot of research on this and this is fascinating because YouTube is, is a huge market for search terms because it's owned by Google. So Google's the number one search engine in the world. Mm -hmm. YouTube is number two. So YouTube, if, if, um, if someone needs to know how to do something, like for example, changing a carburetor in the car, right. they I, search. I'm, I'm, I've been to YouTube University for sure. That's yeah. right. So, so if someone's out there, like a sailor who has a particular interest, and it could be anything. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example, and I'll get back to the topic. There is an elevator YouTube channel Literally, this guy goes film himself <laughs> on an elevator up and down and talks about the elevator. Wow. And it turns out that there are millions of autistic people who enjoy elevators. And so he developed his niche around autistic people who wants to watch his elevator channel. Fascinating. But when you get up to a million followers, you're going to start making some serious revenue. So typically at about a million followers, people will start making about 50,000 to over a million a year, depending on you know the sponsorships and the, the ad revenue that it pulls in. So if you have a out there, if you have an interest, it's kind of like a long-term investment program. That's what I would say. So so it's worth learning how to do it because this will give you something to do post navy. Learning how to do the 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 thing that you're that you're interested in doing or learning how to do the YouTubing. 
both. Okay. So learn the thing that you're interested in doing, learn how to be an expert, and then learn how to be a YouTuber. So now to be a YouTuber, you can also go online and learn how to be a YouTuber from other YouTubers who will teach you for free because they're making money. Right. So the best of the best out there, mm -hmm. like, like Dr. Ali Abdul, he's a, he's a doctor who actually runs courses on how to film with just an iPhone. Oh, wow. And how to do audio with an iPhone, how to do editing with simple software on your computer. And he does it for free because he's making revenue. So yeah. this guy is a doctor in the UK and the UK didn't pay him that much. So he was making- Ali Abdul, I thought he was a techie. Is this the same guy? Anyway, yes, an Indian looking guy, right? Yes, yes. He's Glasses. a doctor. Yes. Okay. He's a doctor. So his revenue is amazing. So his revenue on YouTube, he went from like, I think as a doctor only making under $20,000 yep. a year. Yep. And then he went to be a YouTuber and he made about 15 grand his first year. In about three or four years, he grew it to 7.5 million. Wow. So he is the same guy I think you're, you're talking about. Yeah. So, I, so you can go to YouTube and learn from these guys, learn how to film from your iPhone, learn how to do audio, just get a, a lapel mic and plug it right into your iPhone and then learn how to edit and just post your video. Yeah. And then you can also um, with YouTube, you can just uh, on pennies on the dollar, if you are good at what you do, you can actually pay Google to promote your, your video. So there's two ways to grow it. There's organic, which takes about two years to grow it. But when you grow it organically, that means the algorithm learns like what your video is about to place your video in front of other videos like your video. But you're competing with now millions and millions of other creators. And it's kind of hard to get your video up right. there. Get seen. Sure. So you can actually pay Google to put your video up there. So it puts it right next to all these like related videos. And if you have a good video, you can get a new subscriber for about five cents per subscriber, which is crazy easy. Now, keeping them is another challenge because right. now you have to like find out what your audience likes and you start making the videos that your audience like. But you right. can use the YouTube analytics to learn about that. So you yeah. can look at the analytics and see what's the watch time. You know, when do, when do people drop off in your video? Uh, what kind of topics are really popular? Start interacting with your audience and ask them, hey, what do you want me to start producing or creating? Um, so hopefully they'll tell you, hey, I want A, B, and C or X, Y, and Z. And then you can start making those types of videos. Wow. So fascinating. So, so are you sort of going that route now before when you first started, were you really focused on that or were you just kind of focused on getting the, the information out there and now you've sort of learned the niche and you're, you're tweaking and, and, and sort of rebuilding this thing because it, because it, you had to shut it down. Uh, so before you, were you saying you weren't as focused on that or you, you've always been just fascinated with it? Before I wasn't focused, I just put up like tons of my, my videos on research. And so there's only so many people who, who wanted to hear that. Yeah. And so it kind of peaked out. Gotcha. And so now I'm reinventing my channel. And so I'm using more analytics and more research mm -hmm. behind what people want. So there's a website that's free, it's called VidIQ, but for like $10 a month, you can get like more professional tools, but you can actually learn about what search terms. Really? How many search terms? Okay, like for example, I searched the term cataract on that site. It'll tell me how many people search the term cataract on YouTube in any given month. And what is your competition? How many other creators are creating 
videos about cataracts. Oh, yeah, so you can really find your find your keyword and then find your competition and then find your niche because you know there's there's only you know ten guys doing it and you know thirty million people are searching it. So this is the thing. This That's is, right. Okay. That's right. So wow. now I know that there's over 750,000 people who search for cataracts every one month. And then VidIQ tells me that they also serve what is a, they also search what is a cataract said simply. So that's one of my videos that I'm releasing is wow. what is a cataract explained simply. And then it also asks like what lens, you know, that's incredible. And so now if you use analytics like that, you can actually really dive into what people are searching for and what they want. And you literally have years and years of content that uh, to produce. You're blowing my mind right now. That's incredible. So, okay. So I want to be a YouTuber. What do I do next? First thing, find a, find a topic. Is that what you're saying? What's yeah, my find a step? niche. They can find call a, niche. a topic or niche mm -hmm. and then go to vidIQ mm -hmm. and search, search that topic mm -hmm. and see how many times that topic is being searched on any, month, on any monthly basis. Once you know that, if it's a good number, then it's worth talking about. Okay. Then look at all the other side topics based on that topic that vidIQ will also share with you. Wow. So let's say your topic is about um, brakes. Mm -hmm. But it could be brakes in a Ford, brake in a Chevy, right. brake in a, you know, a, a VW, right? Or it could be how to exchange brakes or how to maintain brakes. I don't know. But if you go to vidIQ, it will tell you what people are searching. Then you can actually start scripting your, your material. Now, to script your material, I recommend people diving into AI. So ChatGPT is an AI that's free. You can use the 3.5 version for free. You can actually tell ChatGPT, give me a draft. Draft a script. Bingo. Wow. So then if you're the expert in that, that field, now you have your first copy. I always look at it going, okay, this is valid. This is not valid. Mm -hmm. Rewrite this for me. Ghost content that it that's yeah, right. can throw in there. Yep. So now, now I use ChatGPT as my ghostwriter. And that's how I can be efficient and produce a rough draft really quickly and then dive it in. Now, do you follow a script when you're doing your, your pod, when you're doing your video or do you, are you just kind of loosely following it? How, how do you do it? You I use a teleprompter. Okay. So, so before I tried to memorize a script and it was very hard. So there was a lot of retakes. So now behind my, my iPhone, I use an iPhone, uh, I use an iPhone 13. You record phone. with your phone. Wow. I do. I record with my phone. I'm, I'm cheap until I start making money, yeah. right? So then I'll upgrade my, yeah. to a better camera later. Yes. But I'm surprised an iPhone is actually very adequate in filming. So I use a, um, an iPhone and right behind it is a big screen TV. Okay. And I use my laptop to drive a free teleprompter. I think it's teleprompter.com. Okay. And I use a teleprompter that basically teleprompts the text right above my iPhone. Mm -hmm. So that way I look like I'm looking, looking at the at lens the screen, yeah. and not reading at back the lens, and forth. Yep. Interesting. I love that. I love that. All right. So podcasting or sorry, YouTubing about your, your uh, brain research um, and dopamine. Is that what you said? So, so tell me about dopamine. What, what do you know about this? And, and, and this is, seems really fascinating that, I mean, not, not just around porn or videos. Um, you made a statement to me uh, when we were talking about the podcast about um, um, the drug sort of that your brain is releasing. That's the equivalent of what, what, what were you saying? Oh yeah, so, so okay, so this is fascinating. So dopamine 
is a field is a reinforcement neurotransmitter in the brain. It can be associated with bad experiences or good experience. But in good experiences, it can actually be released with drugs. So for example, cocaine. Okay. When cocaine acts on the brain, it just blocks the reuptake of dopamine from the the uh, synapse of the neurons. That means when you get high on cocaine, you get high on what is already there in your brain. And methamphetamines, methamphetamines basically stimulates the release of dopamine. So it squeezes it out more, kind of like a tube of toothpaste. Okay. But whatever you get high off of meth is already here, there already in, your in your brain. Head. So your thought, what you see, what you hear, what you do, what you taste, what you eat, can stimulate your brain through the dopamine pathway. Interesting. Similar to like a cocaine or methamphetamine. So it's not the drug that's getting you high, it's the thing in your brain that's releasing this. So when you're addicted to a drug, you're, you're addicted to this thing that's releasing something that's already in your brain. Wow. That's right. And so dopamine downstream, this is where my, my neuroscience background uh, became useful because most people only stuck, just only focus on dopamine in the midbrain. But dopamine in the brain, when it increases, also stimulates the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is a, is a part of the brain that's, that's in the midbrain. Then it stimulates the pituitary gland that sits right below it. The pituitary gland controls your thyroid, controls your adrenals, controls your gonads. So dopamine controls all those. Dopamine is called the hypothalamus, pituitary, ad adrenal, thyroid, and gonadal axis. Dopamine controls your thyroid hormones. Dopamine controls your adrenals, your cortisol, wow. your norepinephrine from your adrenals, right. controls your testosterone in males and that's estrogen in females. So if you like something, all that is firing. And we know that for a fact because when you're playing a video game and you're just adding like pleasant music to it, they found that cortisol increased in the bloodstream. Wow. So that means it basically went through the auditory sense, you know, sensory areas in the brain to the hypothalamus, to the pituitary, down to your adrenal, that releases cortisol. When you have two guys playing video games and they're playing against each other and not a computer, testosterone's higher. How's that happen? That's dopamine in the brain, hypothalamus, pituitary gonads or testicles to release testosterone. Interesting. So dopamine, if you can control your dopamine, you can be a master of your life. Because the problem is dopamine can get you in trouble too. Yeah. So controlling dopamine controls health, controls you know all your feelings, emotions, and it can be either drug-induced, it could be thought-induced, it could be sight-induced, auditory-induced, what you eat-induced. Wow. So knowing all of this at such a high level, how does it sort of govern what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So you know all of this on a high level. So like, you know, you know about what playing with your dog can do, you know what, you know, playing with a video game with another male can do or nice music can do. How does it control your thought? How, do, how does it control your activity? You know, I'm very careful on how I stimulate my dopamine because I can't really handle a lot of dopamine knowing that because I have an addictive personality. So basically I, I, I counteract it with mindfulness. So deep breathing, like deep breathing exercises is well known to stimulate, stimulate the vagus nerve and to slow down the heart rate, slow down your breathing, and then also control your dopamine release. So you can literally control your dopamine through those types of activities, like meditation, for example. Mm -hmm. A 10 minute body scan meditation 
can get your dopamine reset so you're ready to go for the you know the next thing you have to do that day but if you don't have time then deep breathing with deep breathing exercises in your diaphragm can actually slow down your your heart rate your breathing and also um, max you know like minimize your dopamine release wow okay so so still doesn't tell me what so what what are your like so what do you do what are your what are your other hobbies or <laughs> the things you do to sort of control all of this so you meditate to to keep it under control because you have an addictive personality but what other activities do you do what yeah do you- for me is is exercise so i mm-hmm. love um exercising um and and going to the gym is important mm-hmm. uh doing cardio is important as well mm-hmm. uh, for me i'm very active in my church so i enjoy you know uh, being part of the church and and, and just um, doing that with my wife as well mm-hmm. uh, family's important so mm-hmm. relationship with my wife uh we're almost empty nesters now mm-hmm. but when okay. we had kids congratulations thanks mm-hmm. uh when we had kids it was uh, it was you know, definitely doing a lot of kid stuff. Uh, but my wife and I, because we're getting into the, those years of being empty nesters, we're going to have to redefine what right, those activities will be like. because now yeah. we have more time. Yeah. Yeah. What, and what's the plan? You're we don't know gonna, yet. Gonna, so, gonna jump in a camper and <laughs> travel the world or what, what are you going to do? Travel the nation and, or travel the world? Or well, we're what, still, you know, I'm still active duty. So, uh, yeah. but we definitely like, like to travel more. Okay. And so she wants to travel more. And, um, and, and we talked about even starting a travel channel, uh, Ooh. with the, with, uh, now, was she active duty as well? She's not. Okay, she's not. Okay. She's not. Okay. Yeah. Ne- ever serve? Never, Never serve. Okay, okay. All right. So so videos together. What's her background? She's a nurse by training. Okay. And then she stayed home to raise the kids. Okay. So we raised three kids. We have uh, a son who is 26, a daughter who's 25, and then another one who's going to graduate soon in high school. And she's 17. So she's in the process of reinventing herself and finding her thing too. Wow. Interesting. So you, you're um, thinking about traveling the world. You're still active duty, so you can't really do that right now. How much time you got left, you're thinking? Well, let's see here. I have 18 years in almost, uh, but I really enjoy what I do. So I'm going to stay in as long as I can. And so I think our goal is that, you know, to travel would be maybe taking up an overseas, you know, position or, or um, you know, there's billets. Because I'm being an ophthalmologist, there's billets everywhere for us. Um, well, Semi everywhere, a lot in Japan, a couple in Europe. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's an opportunity to, to be overseas. So you were a doctor before you came in the military. Mm-hmm. And then, so what were you before you came in the military? I was an ophthalmologist. And then you came in as what? Ophthalmologist. Okay. Uh, so, cause when we met, I believe you were in flight, you were doing, uh, trying to be a flight surgeon. I am. I was, I was doing uh, flight surgery in aerospace medicine, aerospace medicine, because I wanted to basically, um, I got tired of people saying you're just an ophthalmologist who's doing research in addictive <laughs> behaviors. So in aerospace so, medicine, so now you're like, I can fly a plane too. <laughs> I can't fly. No, I can't fly. I can sit in the back seat with a, with an aviator. <laughs> But with aerospace medicine, we deal with the entire body, but we deal with aviators and aircrew. And so I wanted to basically go into a field that really understood sleep deprivation. Because the thing that caught, that is the number one thing that you'll see in video game addiction is sleep deprivation. Because the service members, they have to, because they make it to work, they have to give up something, right? And so what they're giving up is actually sleep in order to basically play. And so we just published a paper. Um, we wrote a paper. We just published it. It was uh, actually accepted in military medicine where an air crew member, he was an avionics instructor mm-hmm. at the NAS Pensacola here. Okay. He was a gamer and they didn't know it. 
but he'd miss work after a three-day weekend. And so the MPs and his you know, uh, superiors went down to knock on his door and they're like, and no answer, but they could hear this moaning in the kitchen. So they break down this door and they found him bleeding out on the floor. But what they also found was his toilets were all clogged up and overflowing. He was peeing and pooping in buckets everywhere. So it turned out that he's this gamer. And so he played in this multi, multiplayer game so much that he didn't have time to fix his toilet. He didn't have time to basically take care of his wow. house. And so in order to get out of trouble, because he was an E6 at the time, he knew he was going to get in trouble. So he stabbed himself. And he came up with a story that someone broke into his house, stabbed him, and then left and somehow miraculously deadbolted the door. <laughs> from the inside, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> from the outside. From the outside. Yeah. Deadbolted from the inside. Exactly, the outside. yeah. Oh, my so we wrote this case report up saying, we need to ask these questions. And so at the time, you know, the, the doctors, because he didn't ask for video game addiction, didn't know what he had. So he was actually discharged with, um, with a adjustment disorder typically is a, kind of like the big basket that right. we put people in with mental problems that we just don't know what they have. But I think that if we start asking our service members, you know, why were you late to muster? You know, what was going on? I think we'll start finding that sleep deprivation is a huge, huge problem. So sleep deprivation became a huge um, a dr a draw for you. So you went into to, uh, aerospace medicine to, to do more research, which all stemmed from this research around the brain and- And gaming and gaming. stimulus, exactly. What? Okay, so you said you were fascinated with it all because you were a gamer. So what have you learned about yourself through all of this? Wow. So um, I'm definitely a gamer who's a, a potential, actually gaming addict. I'll just come out and say that. So in med school, I was playing 80 to 100 hours a week for over 10 years. Wow. Yeah, pretty intense. So, so, I, 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 so I knew. And so after 10 years, I finally... When I got in the Navy, I didn't play anymore. So I already knew that this is a potential problem. So I was ahead of the game, right? So I was playing from like 1995 to 2005, intensely that amount. A hundred hours a week? hundred hours a week. So I was only sleeping like one to two hours a night. Incredible. But I was always tired. I was always like, you know, and it was not good for my mental health and, you know, caused a lot of marital problems. It was a huge problem. So I knew I, you know, I, so when I see it, when you're someone who struggles with this and you see other you people identify, struggling, yeah. you kind of know already, you know, the, the reason why, or, or, you know, when I was doing research is like doing research on myself. Mm -hmm. So I knew the questions to ask. Yeah. So I was, you know how to drill down. Yeah. I, I could, I could drill down. So you learned that you're a gaming addict. Is there, is, is that it? Is that all you learned about yourself? <laughs> Just, uh, I'm a gaming addict, and so I need to, to, uh, to uh, look into this for myself. And you just kind of stop there. That's uh, it. No, I don't just stop there. But but definitely, you know, all things dopamine, right? So just mm -hmm. because you're an addict in one area, for me, you so can be addicted in other areas too. Okay. okay. So you got to be careful. Yeah. So I love sugar, for example. So I got to be careful. So if I didn't have the PRT, I'd probably blow up like Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Because I could eat sugar all day long. Because you know that's also releasing dopamine. It definitely released dopamine. I can see the addiction, you know? Yeah. Like my, my wife bought like last month some sugary soda and I usually don't drink sugary sodas. 
and, and she had some in the house. And I could actually wake up in the middle of the night like yearning to drink, you know, more soda. That's incredible. And so literally, you know, uh, I, I, think, I think I was snoring and she like elbowed me a little bit. I'm like, okay, I'm up already. So I walk out at like 1 a.m. and chug down like a whole can of, wow. of soda so, because I was just yearning for it. And that, so, yeah, it's, it's back to what you said originally about the mindfulness thing where if nothing else that has come out of this, it's just that you knowing yourself and, and identifying those feelings and, and seeing what, what's taking you there. Um, and what ways are the YouTube videos sort of fulfilling this? this are, are they tied into this um, dopamine at all for you? Like on a personal Absolutely. level? Absolutely. Okay. So, so I've learned that through all those years of presentations, I love that. I loved being on stage. I love that like adrenaline. That, yeah. You know, I'm probably getting some adrenaline now just talking the podcast. Yeah. You can see mm-hmm. that I became animated just right. like, you know, in the short time right, right. that we were spending together, right? <laughs> and so um, so I learned that, that that's not healthy to be on stage for me because I just, you know, with that amount, amount of dopamine rush, I just, not good. I don't sleep. I, I'm like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, so when you say you don't sleep, you mean like when you were going to these, uh, these speaking engagements, you wouldn't sleep? No, just back to like the gaming addict. Yeah. So basically, you know, it would drive me up so much that I would not want to sleep. What's the longest you've stayed up? Like what's the longest you've like gone hard on a, on a, on a presentation? Um, for a presentation? Yeah, yeah. Probably a week long, like seven days. Without sleep? Probably sleeping maybe 30 to 30 minutes to an hour a night. Wow. Yeah. You're just that amped, amped off the adrenaline. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Like uh, my wife also mentions it too, is that basically um, back in, in I think like 2018 or 2017, I was invited to go to Hawaii to give a whole series of talks. Okay. And literally I did not sleep at all that, that week. Well, maybe one to two hours a night. Okay. And so and what would you do in the, in the, I mean, you weren't talking the entire time. I went time, jogging. So. I talked to like the homeless people on the streets. I, wow. you know, um, I, I'd be up on the internet, you know, because of different time frames on Facebook posting, you know? Wow. So I learned about myself as you meant, you know, mm-hmm. asked before mm-hmm. I can become a face crack addict, you know? Wow. So just being there arguing with people or talking to people or, you know, basically spending time online with other people that you think you're spending time with them. Right. Like your old friends from high school, for right, example, right. and you're just, you know, posting back and forth. That's all dopamine. You're driven. all getting dopamine. Wow. Yeah. So now I don't do that. I, I set time for myself on Facebook, only spend maybe an hour a day mm-hmm. at a set time or try to at least and, and limit my interactions on Facebook. I don't post as much, for example, on Facebook. Um, but then to get back to you about uh, YouTube videos, yes, I, I, I get the dopamine rush, but it's more delayed. So for example, it's a very laborious process to basically produce a video, right? So you have to do the research, come up with a script, and that takes like maybe four or five days just to come up with a script because mm-hmm. you have to re-edit the script yep. and, mm-hmm. and work with the script and practice, and, yep. and, practice the script. Mm-hmm. and then you film and filming it takes about maybe an hour or two. Mm-hmm. But that's the easy part because now post-production is editing. The editing takes me at least seven days, you know, at least because just to put in like people are so distracted these days because our, our media has changed to slow moving. Like back in the 1960s, it was slow moving, slow, like changing, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe scenes would change every 30 seconds. People have been programmed 
to, to want to see changes every three to five seconds because that's how our brains are. If we don't see those changes, we don't see the flashing colors or the you know changing titles or the motion titles or whatever. So how do you combat that? How do you how do you work against? You can't. That? You gotta. If you want to be a successful be YouTuber, every three to five seconds. Yes, you gotta change it. You gotta make something happen on the screen every three to five seconds. Otherwise, your audience will lose interest. Wow. And so and so that's why you see podcasters, even video podcasters, they change their perspective with cameras. Mm -hmm. So every three to five seconds, they'll change a perspective. Like it'll be straight on and then to the angle, yeah. to the other angle, or maybe you can blow up your, your face a little bit and move it so it looks right. like a different perspective without you know doing major editing, but you have to change your perspective on the screen. So by because that that's the case, a 30 minute video becomes now hours and hours and hours and days worth of editing. Wow. So I do get, dopamine rush but it's now tailored over you know two weeks so it forces me to actually yeah. not rapid fire work the project work the project work the project yeah. and, you, and then you submit the project and then people like it and that's when the dopamine hits but you've worked for it at that point that's like, right you've earned it but then you're on to the next project mm -hmm. so usually now i have like you know in the queue four videos before i make another one so when I make another one, it's not going to be released until four weeks down the road. So by then, so I really don't time. care. Yeah. I don't really care about the likes or the comments. Yeah. I'm on to the next one now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, Dr. Don, it's been absolutely amazing. I, I want to dig a little deeper on this dopamine thing with you on this brain thing. Um, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for emailing and being interested in, in what we have to say. I, I do want to talk more. Um, so, um, we'll, we'll try to get back for, for another episode, if you don't mind. My pleasure. Thank you. To our listeners, remember to connect with us and share your thoughts. Join us in our next episode as we continue to explore the captivating life stories of medical providers. Until then, stay curious and keep going beyond the scrubs. Mm -hmm.